Good morning. It's uh, Simon Clark, CEO of American Lithium, chatting to Matt to give everyone a, an update on recent events. Well, we're going to have a special session today because there's a little bit, there's so much to talk about. Okay. Um, let's, let's start. Well, I'm going to save Makassani for a second. You've, you've spun out Makassani at, at last. I want to talk to you about that one. I do want to talk about your investment in Surge um, Battery, good company. Um, of, of course I do. Um, and I do want to talk about Peru and the fact that they've gone pro-mining, hardcore uh, pro-mining. Uh, and I do want to talk about that. But I've got to start with um, the session you just did in DC. We kind of missed each other because you were busy um, you know, with, 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 with meetings with the great and the good. So um, what, what was it about? What did you get out of it? What did you, what did you um, learn that's going to be good for your shareholders? Yeah, I, th I, think, I think, Matt, what really came home to me is just you know like uh, like i mentioned when we discussed beforehand that there, there is a complete polarization at the moment between where the capital markets are on the lithium space and the reality of what's happening in the sector what the strategic investors are doing what the mining companies are doing what the automobiles and other end users and what the politicians are doing and and so there's so much momentum there's so much desire to see um, production come on and, and where possible, you know, sever the links to to some of these overseas countries that control the uh, supply chain. So, you know, highly positive from that perspective, um, which was great. In terms of specific learnings for me, I think I think what really came out of it for me, and certainly the panel I was on was, was scaling lithium. And it, it was it was very interesting to me because I, it, it maybe I'm a little slow, but I, I think the huge advantage that we have with our assets, if you look at the Claystones and Makassani, sorry, Falchani, which will produce a battery grade product, you know, there's so much of the new um, uh, assets that are, are being grabbed and put together in North America are hard rocks where you have to concentrate them. Uh, and then you have to build a road, ship them out, and really the only place they can go for the next several years is China. And so, you know, we've got this push to get domestic production, but at the end of the day, you know, the refining and the upgrading piece is even further behind. So I think when you look at a claystone that can produce a high-purity lithium product that doesn't have to go for additional refining and upgrading overseas or wherever, that's a huge advantage that I think we're going to start to get in the interim. And it's interesting. I was on a panel with Piedmont, which is integrated. So they've figured that out. They're putting in their own processing. Um, and then uh, standard, you know, Robert Mintak. So I would say they're the most advanced of the DLE um, technologies. And their asset lends itself to the fact that they will be in, in near-term production, like a lot of other primes in North America and are, are a good ways out. But, so you're looking at three different companies, but all of them have the ability to produce a high purity product in the short term, which is what is needed rather than, you know, a lot of this, that this whole debate about China and how you break that bond and how are you going to do it? If you're going to have to sell, send them um, product concentrate, you know, for the next, I don't know, certainly short to medium term until the, upgrading and refining catches up. So I think that's a huge advantage of our, of our products, of our projects, 
which I think is becoming more and more recognized. But, but here's, the, here's the thing, Simon, with, with that, and I've heard some reports from um, the, 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 the conference last week in D.C., is the politicians have kind of set the tone. They've said, right, okay, for uh, autom- automobile industry, it's electric. We, we are going to incentivize you um, and industry and the ecosystem around that one extremely well. The IRA, um, the, the Inflation Reduction Act, has significantly helped. There's somewhere 137 billion bucks worth of investments into you know EVs and batteries. So it's, it's happening. But miners, right, the guys who have to supply the materials which goes into these batteries, they're not getting the same support. And there seems to be this disconnect, I, I, I think. So I'm, I'm intrigued as to what you heard from the politicians. I know Joe Manchin was there, spoke extremely well, but there were, there were other senators uh, there as well. What is their understanding of what they're going to need to do for the mining component of this electric vehicle revolution that they have started? Well, I, 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 I think, Matt, and again, we touched on it off the top, you know, while the capital markets catches up and banks get to the point where they're comfortable to find, you know, to, to, to finance the building of lithium mines, you, you know, the U.S. government is setting up. I mean, you, you talk about IRA, that's, you know, obviously the incentives, the tax incentives to, to, for domestic supply, uh, also on the EV purchasing side, which is all great. But the DOE is actually handing out real money to miners now to help them build mites. Um, the DOD is is starting to do similar. And, uh, you know, I think we'll see more of that. I, I think the one piece where they have to look at is, is it's fine. Really, let's focus the companies that have, Bankable feasibility onwards for building a mine. What about the explorers, the earlier stage developers? How do they get some help? Because you know, while the capital markets are not fully versed yet on the lithium side or making the investments that, quite frankly, they should be. If you look at what's happening on the other side of the, the coin, how are they going to get financed? And I think that's a piece that you, you know you, they're going to have to help some of these companies at an earlier stage. We've been fortunate, as you know, we've been well capitalized. We've got a strong balance sheet, so we haven't had those struggles. And our timing in the market has been good. But you look at a market like today where, yes, everyone's gone on the S&Ps up, but really it's only five companies that are up. And if you're a young mining company trying to get funded, it's not easy, even if you're in the sexy lithium space. So I I, I think I think we need to see more on that. Um I think it's going to come. I mean, they're very aware. You know, there's definitely moves to 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 widen the IRA. I hate saying the IRA for obvious reasons. I, I they all do, but if IRA um, and 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 you know, bring in other con- you know countries as well, because you know, even Madsen recognizes, and I don't mean that in a negative way to him, but he's big focus on U.S. manufacturing, but he knows that we need the expertise of the Aussies, the Koreans, the Japanese, these are deposits of South America, all got to come in if we're going to come anywhere close to meeting these pipelines. And I think there's a more and more realization of that. Right. So that's, that's the politicians, right? They, you, you sense there's a, so you, what you're saying is they, they, they understand the moving parts and mining will hopefully be a beneficiary of that. And certainly in terms of not just credits, but actual cold hard cash. Because here, here's something that, that, that I heard. And I won't 
say where where from, but you know, one of the guys I was speaking to was speaking to a head of a very large U.S. automotive manufacturer. Not too many of those. So the, the the number quoted by that CEO about how much lithium um, they they would need by 2030, you know, how, how much copper they need by 2030, seems to be very disconnected from the reality of us being able to produce that amount. I, it was a number significantly higher than the current world production for lithium. It was, you know, significantly higher, when it came to nickel, significantly higher than the current nickel production. That's just one automotive company. And then when he, he, he spoke to, I think, three other automotive companies, they were coming out with, you know, equally kind of slightly hard to believe numbers. And I'm trying to work out, is that just, Face saving, is that them thinking, oh, the sector will sort itself out? Or is there this realization? Because if you look at the likes of GM and Ford, et cetera, moving sort of upstream and buying into mining companies, do you think we're going to see a lot more of that coming down the line? Um, and do you think, or do you think it's a case of some of these automotive companies have no idea of the problem which is coming down the line real quick? I listen, I, I as you know, when I was with Javoir, uh, you know, Bryce and I used to go to Benchmark and other things, and we met with GM and Ford and some of the others in those days. And I would say they weren't really aware of it, and that's only a few days, a few years ago. I mean, they were aware of it, but they weren't yet necessarily believing it. I think what you're seeing today just demonstrates absolutely that, you know, that one of the senior guys from GM was at the Benchmark event in LA last November, and he said, we've got the farm. We can't go back. I also spoke to one of his colleagues a few months later, just after they invested in us, and I said, "So, you know, forty thousand tons of lithium carbon, you know, maybe going to eighty off at what or whatever. You know, are you guys done?" And he 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 laughed. He said, "Listen, we need hundreds of thousands of tons." So these guys know it. Um, to think that you would see automakers investing in mining operations like they started to do a few years ago would be unheard of. To think that you'd see the, the Department of Energy um, writing a $700 million check into Ioneer even before they've got final mine permits, let alone to fund a mine in itself, but then one without permits. You know, I think you've seen how far it's come. It's just, it's going to snowball. Because they don't have a choice. They've bet the farm on it. Are you going to rely on the Chinese? Are you going to rely on your own government to get policies in place as quickly as you need? Or are you going to take matters into your own hand and secure your supply chain? And that's what they're doing. Well, look, I think there's the mining sector needs to thank some of the politicians, some of the, some of the senators for getting involved, not just in terms of the energy with, 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 with uranium, but also EV um, um, conversations as well. But at the same time, they, there's more to do because I think you put the, the nail on the head a second ago there because the permitting and licensing process has not been simplified. And we're about to talk about it with regards to Peru in a second, but where they have done it and they've gone hard. But it does the, again, did you hear anything which leads you to believe that the US government understands that it's, mining's got to be made easier in terms of the paperwork, in terms of the admin, in terms of all of those things which currently stretch um, these projects out into decades before they can get into production. Absolutely. You know, I heard a lot of that. I mean, obviously, the proof is always in the pudding. Um, but there's been lots of debate recently in Congress and amongst the politicians. And I, and I think with guys like Manchin, 
um, involved in the process, and he's definitely inserted himself into it. Um, and you know, in, in Nevada, where we are, there's a couple of couple of senators who are very, very active as well. So there's a there's a much bigger debate. I, you know, the Democrats always have to balance that lobby between you know the anti mining environmental brigade, which are not not yeah, anyone's choices, and the reality that if you want to get to net zero, you have to mine. So there's that balance. And I think they've, you know, they're trying to tread that path, but I think more and more we're starting to hear that they acknowledge that this can't go on. They've got a streamline everything. I mean, you look at TLC, we've been, we've been pretty quick, you know, but we've been over six years already. Um, and, you know, we're going to pilot off, you know, with a partner, um, you know, one of the big labs likely. So we want to permit that. Uh, we'll be through PFS by mid next year. We're still looking at a two-year permitting process at this point, permit of mine, even though we don't have any water table or EPA issues at TLC. So, you know, if then you're into construction and then you're with a following win, maybe 18 months, probably more like two months to have it built. So, you know, that pushes you out towards 2028. And that is probably as fast as you could do it. You know, I commend our team for what they've done. Um, but, and, and, you know, but if you if you do things in parallel, if you get a lot a, a, a rid of some of these archaic 100-year rules, it doesn't mean you're giving up on the environment. I mean, look at the Aussies. I mean, they are hugely focused on the environment, but their permitting process is so much so you look at what, what Quebec has been trying to do at streetlight things. So so you can do it, and you also have to throw more money at it because the BLF, they're generally good people, but they're very, very uh, short-staffed and overstretched, like a lot of government uh, bodies. So there just needs to be some focus on it, and I really do believe it's coming back. So I think you will see... Um, I think you'll see some moves on that front. That's certainly the sense I got. Yeah, I, I think, again, coming back to sort of... Um, Manchin, I think he was um, talking about reform on um, the permitting side of things. And let's hope that does come because t- for mining, time time is money. Um, and perhaps it doesn't need to be quite as complicated, but doesn't mean a reduction of standards e- either. Look, um, I, I think um, I just... Well, I'm going to save the best to last, which is Makassani. Okay, let's just, let's just talk about um, a, a little thing that you did recently. You invested into... Um, uh, search. Uh, can you tell us why you've um, this surge surge battery metals? Why you've done that? What's it going to do for your shareholders? Yeah. So I, I mean, like, as I mentioned, Matt, you know, we obviously have been involved in clay stones for like, over six years. I think we have a really good understanding of clay stone mineralization. Um, you know how the deposits run, if you like. Um, and, and the issues with it, that every style of mineralization has, has its own issues. Uh, and, you know, so we look at what's going on in the, in the sector, in the industry. So we look at the other clay stones. I mean, there's a bunch of players that claim they have huge swathes of clay stones, and undoubtedly they do, but we don't think the grades are near where they would need to be to be commercial. Uh, now, that might come with DLE and other technology down the road, but we're always looking on the lookout for other clay stone projects because we, we understand a lot. We believe, like I said, that the clay stones are going to be one of those uh, uh, styles of mineralization that can come on relatively quickly, 
with a high purity product so you don't have to upgrade or refine offshore and can be a really near-term you know driver to try and help this deficit that we've been talking about so you know we've been watching surge for a while and um you know it's it's clear i i think you know i'm not sure what the company was about in the past but i i, I think they 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 found these assets and we started to watch the assaying they were doing and then they did a really interesting drilling and so they have grades that are, are, are certainly at the top end on the claystone spectrum yes from a small drill program but you know, and, and, and where we started to get some more confidence was when Ian Scar, he was the COO of Millennium Lithium, got involved. You know, Graham Harris, a couple of the other guys got involved. Andy obviously knew those guys from founding Millennial. And, you know, Ian, Ian's a good friend at this office. And, you know, he, he's actually on the board of one of the other companies here. And so, you know, he was going on about it. We, so we, 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 we've taken a lot more of a closer look at the data liked what we see uh, and we felt you know it's part of what we've learned it's strategically to get an early stake in it um and if this thing evolves like we think it could then you know that could obviously lead to to, to something bigger or something greater and you know it, it, to, to do that get a seat at the table get board representation see how it evolves i think we can also really help them short circuit some of their thinking in terms of mineralization and that side uh, and so i think that you know hopefully it's symbiotic but i think you know for for, for not a huge investment to get a decent sized starting stake um, the ability to leverage that further through warrants and get someone on the board you know we think it's a good thing and, and so, so that's 9.9 percent what how much what did you pay for that and what what actually and how much money have they got to do what? Are they going to help them, or maybe you know, you know offer to help? Yeah. So, so we've put in we've put in five point three million. I think that and that gets us just under ten percent. Um, they're raising. I think they're just adding to that without trying to do a you know a, a much bigger raise, but just just adding around it that helps them raise a total of seven point one. You know, I think they've got a couple of million, maybe three million in the bank. So they've probably got. 10 million treasury, their early stage, um, they have another phase of, uh, of drilling coming up. Um, you know, as I say, they had an initial eight holes, they'll do a bunch more around that. Um, Ted O'Connor, who's our EVP, um, and as you know, discovered Farchetti with Lawrence, but also help us on all TLC is going on the board as our representative. You know, he's, he, he, he is a great geologist, and he and Ian Scar is another geologist on the lithium side. I think you have a lot more lithium experience between them than most years, so we'll see where it goes, but we're pretty excited about the potential of the project. Okay, so it feels like it's a symbiotic relationship there. Um, and also, it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I like it when a kind of company's going kind to, of like, step out step outside of the routine, as it were, and, you know, keep 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 looking for opportunities. Um, and this is one which is, I guess, an area that you're comfortable with as well. Um, let's move on to the next bit, which is Peru. I kind of, I kind of gave a sneak preview of, of the bit that I'm excited about here, which is when governments get out of their own way. So, 
Tell us about what's happening in Peru with regards to mining law and and uh, I guess the, the politicians' view of mining these days. Yeah, well, I I I think Matt, your your um, distribution list and 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 the guys that follow um, have have been through the pain with you and me of the last dysfunctional uh, government in Peru. And, and again, you know, we have to be able to kind of deal with what we've got, but it's very very clear. Dysfunction that that government brought to, to 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 the mining process. If you're a producer, Peru has a great royalty regime. They've got a very fair fiscal regime, so you're you're doing very well. But anyone who needed development permits was pretty stuck because the ministries were full of people who didn't really understand what they were doing, um, and really the government didn't. Understand. They were trying to claim power. You know, they were trying to leverage every opportunity they could. So. You know, I think when the government changed in December, everyone thought, you know, what's going to happen now? Uh, you know, you end up with Dina Boate, who is a left-leaning president still. But uh, people fail to recognize about Peru, it is historically a center-right country. The Congress is nearly always center-right. It just has a a, a, a presidential voting process that could, you know, because you have so many parties, if they don't get together on the center-right, you can end up with a president who's not governed, who who doesn't really. It would be like, as I said in the past, you and me, you know, becoming president and getting our matrix schools out, run it. Um, so, and anyway, no one knew what was going to happen, and then you had the unrest, which was really sponsored by the Cubans, and Mexican, and Bolivian interference in Peru, uh, and getting the disenfranchised groups to march on the borough. Anyway. That's obviously history, and that's you know that's that's being dealt with. But I, I think what emerged around the time of PDAC was a real intent to put together a government across party uh, lines. So you've got you, you know a lot of centre right, you've got a lot of centre left, predominantly working together to move Brazil forward. And they really decided they were going to focus on the economy. Huge part of the Peruvian economy is mining. That was the message. It came out, PDAC, that, you know, it's nice to actually see that translated now. Not only did we get our, our, our drill permit, the first drill permit in around Fulchani for two years, you saw Tech get their permits, you've seen Toromocha get their permits, you've seen Yanacocha, Sulfide get permits. Things are starting to move, and the government is now saying very much that, you know, it's back to normal in the mining sector, They've gone on record in recent weeks that they want to see lithium developed as an industrial metal in particular. They want to see copper up 20% this year. I mean, as you probably saw, they fell to number three in the world tables on that, which didn't go down well. And then, so they've decided the economy is the way to go. Um, and within that, you know, earlier, actually last week now, um, you had the mining minister coming up saying they're going to streamline environment uh, I think from 18 months three months with a goal of getting mines permitted within six months, which is huge. So, you know, again, you look... It, 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 it's huge, but okay, if I'm, I'm looking in with my ESG hat on or with my environmental hat on, is that, does that mean all of a sudden we're going we're gonna to forget standards? No, and don't forget in Peru, um, everything starts at the community level. So, you know, the way the communities are, um, and, and we're... we're I'm not going to say lucky. You know, I take my hat off to Plateau and, and Lawrence and Ted and guys, but 
you know, to have communities that have been to Lima or told the government to get, to get figure out their ass effectively, excuse my French, get on with things uh, is very telling. And the guys, you know, after the troubles, they the first time we were able to get, you know, uh, gringos essentially up to site was a few weeks ago. We had Stantec, who's doing the resource expansion. Lawrence was up there. We had a couple of board members. Ted was there. Um, and, and one of the guys at the uranium side. So we got them all up to site. You know, they get they get to East Severe, which is the main community where the camps is. And there's all these people out with banners. And they're thinking, oh, man, is this a protest? And they get there and they're greeted like heroes. You know, the banners are all, welcome back. Let's get going. All the school children are out of school, the doctors. Because we, you know, we we pay for the doctors and nurses up there and, and, and a lot of the school teachers and, so they were greeted like heroes. And so I think that's just evidence of the communities are where it's at. You're not going to get those support up there if you don't uh, have good environmental practices. Again, we're very blessed up there that we have high rainfall, we have hydropower. We're literally three miles, you know, three miles off the the the, the, the two oceans highway linking Peru and Brazil. Um, so the infrastructure is good. You know, we obviously. We don't take the fact that unlike the brines, which use an inordinate amount of water in the deserts, you know, we're in a high rainfall area, but we still look to minimize you know, water usage. So, you know, and then you still have to go through your environmental audit. So, you know, it doesn't mean because you have three, six months to build a mine, we're going to run the EIA piece. For an EIA, you have to monitor the water over a 12 month period. So, but, but we started that. Our guys were smart enough to say, um, you know, last year we'll be getting drilling. Okay, what can we do? So we started the EIA and we'll be done that this fall. So we're ahead of the game there. And then, you know, you get it through PFS late this year. Okay, we, we don't have the environmental data. Six months from the mine. Assuming funding's available, you could be in construction of Valchani link next year. Let's call it early 25. Um, and then in, in, in to, you know, producing by late 26, which puts you a couple of years ahead of where TLC is because of this easier, I, I don't want to say easier is the wrong word, but more efficient and streamlined permitting process. Now, now again, Matt, seeing as, you know, talk is cheap and seeing is believing, but all I'm saying is the fact that all these permits are starting to come out, the fact that you're starting to see them move on a lot of initiatives now on the buying side, I think is validation that they're not just talking the game. What I'm hearing, because like you say, we, for the last two years, there's been a case of, oh my goodness, Peru, can yeah, you yeah. do business in Peru? Yeah. Peru, best avoided. You've got a, a government intent on making it easier to mine and for foreign direct investment to mine in Peru, it seems from what, from what you're saying. Um Okay, well, let, let, let's monitor that situation. That, that that obviously sounds good news. If they're reducing the the, the permitting process uh, into the time the time from eighteen months down to three months, that's good news. If they're not, you know, um, bypassing standards and you know the expectations of the companies continue to behave appropriately, that that's that's all good news. Um, it's especially I, I think. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. You, you have to remember as well international guidelines on ESG now. And like what we have to do with the C SEC, I mean, they're going to publish their guidelines very soon. You know, even if you felt that the, the things were too short-circuited in Peru, 
you know, we have to deal with things like carbon, water, other emissions now through that anyway. And you're not going to get the investment you need if you don't. So it's, it's a critical point to remember, yes, there's the government side. And I don't think Peru's going to uh, short-circuit the environmental side in any way, shape, or form. They're just being way more efficient with it, like Australia does today. And, and, and then we have all the other uh, bodies that we have to adhere to as well. Okay, well, look, um, I was about to say it, it, it's good news for dog shampoo. No, Makusani, <laughs> not dog shampoo. It's good news for Makusani uh, because it makes life a lot easier. Now, this is the better one to get to. Okay, this 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 is the this is the the dessert, the the, the things to look forward to. Um, you've done the spinner. We've been talking about it for a while. You, you found a vehicle, uh, and Makasani Uranium has been born. So tell us about the deal structure, and then what next? Yeah, so so we are effectively, and it's been structured for tax purposes. So you know we attributed a valuation of thirty six million on the uranium assets. Um, you know, which is definitely a very favourable valuation. Um, if you're an American shareholder, you don't really mind too much about that because as long as you get your pro rates as high from it, you know, the valuation is somewhat secondary. Um, it, you, you know, obviously, uh, the part of the structuring is to avoid tax issues in Peru or, or, or Canada. And I shouldn't say, uh, you know, no, nothing nefarious there. It's just, just structured to make sure we don't end up triggering any capital gains or anything like that. Um, but at the same time, in the current markets in the world and with the discount that we've seen on Peru, it's certainly a justifiable number that's been validated by you know, KPMG with a valuation of fairness report. Uh, but uh, you know, we do think that the net asset value of $600 million, um, from the last PA is probably the target that we want to close the gap to. And it clearly wasn't going to happen with it a lithium developer man. Um, you know, you have a project that is number three behind the other two, not because it's not a great project, but again, we're a lithium developer. Uh, we didn't want to necessarily sell it, you know, um, at, at current valuations, which are getting high at, but we just think the ability to unlock value. That, the thing I think a lot of people don't recognize about Makasani is, the, um, is, 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 is how you can accelerate this project. We now have a flow sheet that's baked from ASTO. So we're not going to think, if you think of the structure, so we announced this definitive agreement, we announced a, a, a financing at the same time. That's great. We now have to put circulars together and go and get the shareholder votes, and then it will close probably late September kind of time frame. But we're not going to slow down in the interim. We're going to start the piloting. It'll be done at Ansto. We, you know, what we're doing right now is we're just uh, getting some more upgraded uh, material uh, from Makasani to send for planet purposes. We're expecting the permit now for additional drilling, and we have, you know, one thing we've been able to do when we weren't drilling is identify a bunch more targets. So we have over forty-seven drill targets to expand. Uh, and infill the existing resource. That's going to start to happen in the second half as well. Uh, we will update the resource at Makasani, you know, probably Q1 next year, update the, the old PA Q2. And that's really the key piece 
uh, to then enable us to finalize PFS by Q3 of next year. And then, you know, again, if we get this, this um, restricted uh, permitting process, we'll run the EIA in parallel with all that other work. And then, you know, even if you say a year to permit the mine, that would have us at uh, FID, you know, mid to late 2025. If you remember on the Makasani side, it's a simple build. It's a modular, we're going to tank bleach. So we think the economics from the, the OPA actually probably gets stronger, including the CapEx, because it's much more of a modular design. Um, you can definitely see the potential for production in, uh, in late 26 from from Makasani as well on the uranium side. So we're really excited about it. The, the, the structure, you know, as well, so, so the valuation is 36 million. That means American lithium shareholders are going to see 80 million shares of the new vehicle get distributed, prorated. We're not keeping any back at the corporate level or keep any royalties. Um, and then, you know, the new money will come in a little bit higher valuation of 50 cents a share with a half warrant of a buck 25, which, you know, w w with the milestones and the valuation, we think the potential for this to trade up is significant. And, uh, and, 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 and then, you know, from a team perspective, it'll be the same operating team. I mean, as it has been all along, we talked about communities, community relationships, and, you know, this team built this district over 20 years, if you know, and it's critical to have that ongoing. There'll be members of management in common. Ted will be the president. Alex is the CEO. Lawrence and I will be on the board, but there will also be an independent board as well. So, so that's the vision that a, a, a vehicle that can really drive this project ahead quickly and efficiently. And I think it's an advanced stage asset. Again, if it wasn't for COVID dysfunction, it would probably be in production. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, actually. And also, the timing's uh, fascinating because I think uh, uranium hit 59 bucks before settling back down at 57. Uh, the, this week, so it, it, it's kind of clear. Again, it may, may, I don't know um, if you were having those sorts of conversations in DC um, with regards to the energy uh, side of things as well. Um, we had USR, we had Makasani Uranium as our winner of the week on this week's energy show. Oh, nice! For all the reasons, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, I think well, well, well deserved, well deserved. Um, so yeah, we we shall again. Let's see how that kind of plays out over the next uh, few weeks and months. But I think your, your timing is impeccable. Simon, appreciate your time today and sharing all of that. There's a lot going on, a lot, lot to be looking at. Uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks, Matt. Really appreciate it. Cheers, mate.